Father, that's just our, our prayer this morning. Jesus, we love you. God, we can't say it enough. We can't thank you enough for what you've done for us. We thank you for your presence that's here. We pray that you would speak to us as your word is spoken to us this morning. God, we love you, and we just give all these things to you, and we ask them all in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had this Bible a couple of years. My other one wore out with the binding came loose, and I always buy the same kind of thing. It's not real leather. It's some kind of, you know, some kind of fake stuff. I think it was on sale for about 19.99. Now, <clears throat> when my Bible fell apart, I said, well, I guess it's time to go get another one. You know, I got in my car and I drove to Mardell's and I got out of my car and I just walked in there and I picked out the one I wanted and I went up to the cash register, paid for it, walked out. No one bothered me, it's no big deal. We were sitting in the little room in Uganda and uh, we got to talking that evening and, and Amy said, you know, Dad, none of the, if you haven't noticed, there's only two Bibles in the group. I said, yeah, I noticed that. She said, well, those are King James Bibles that they got somewhere a long time ago and they just, they just swapped that around and, and, and so none of them have Bibles. And I honestly thought, well, how in the world can that be? I mean, I just walked in a store. I got a Bible, picked it up and walked home and said, let's, let's go get them. Uh, let's go get them some Bibles. It can't be that big a deal. Well, we searched and searched and searched and, and there was a, a shopping area close to where we lived that the Mazingos go, that's the white people, and it's, hard, it's heavily guarded and in there was a bookshop and it had five or six King James Bibles and they were really high, expensive. I said, well, and they couldn't even get a case for us and I wanted to get a case of of English Bible for those that read English and want English and a, and a case of, uh, or a couple cases of the Luganda Bible so they could have their choice of what language they wanted the Bible in. But we finally researched it out and there's a place in Kampala called the Bible House. And we had to go there. It's an ordeal to get a Bible in Uganda that's not too expensive. Now, the price on the Bibles in Uganda that, that we were able to locate and find are more expensive than Bibles here. Now, I'm not talking about the $100, you know, genuine leather, calfskin, ostrich skin, or whatever it is, Bible that you, that you can find. I, I'm talking about uh, just normal hardback Bibles. And I'm thinking, golly, that's just really expensive. So um, we were going to go do it. And so uh, we called and asked if we could just send a, a motorbike there to pick them up for us and come back, and they wouldn't do that. They said, no, you have to come yourself. And I said, well, what's that about? I mean, come on. And we thought maybe we could give them a, a credit card over the phone or something, and we could get this worked out. They wouldn't take a credit card, and so we had to go. So we had to get our driver going, and so we wake up early in the morning, and that's going to be the very first thing we do that day, and had a couple of errands trying to find some shippers for the stuff, for the product. And, and so... It's just right off downtown Kampala, and the driver pulls into a compound. And sure enough, it was like a three-story building, pretty large building, and on top of it, it said Bible House. So all right, we found the place. So we pull in, and we pull in to a security barrier. And they had this big cement thing in front of the road that's on wheels and has a chain that they pull back and forth, you know, to 
to let it, you go in and go out and stuff. And I'm thinking, what's this about? And a guard is on one side and a guard's on the other side, and they've got machine guns. Now, the, the policemen all carry AK-47s over there. Nearly every, every law enforcement person does, it seemed like. And uh, there's a big Russian influence there at the, at the airport, too. So I don't know what all that's about. But anyway, um, we're um, uh, checked pretty, you know, heavily the first thing. And they open the door. They want us all to talk to them. They ask us all questions, you know, just like at the border. They want to know if what kind of accent we got, how what they hear. They're trained to listen for that, right? And so he opens the glove box, and they just look on the inside, and then we're allowed to go in. They pull that cement barrier back, and we come in a little more, and we're met by five or six guys at the neck check, checkpoint. And they've got the mirrors under our car. They check in the trunk. They check under the hood. They look under the wheel wells. They're looking just, just like you're, you're going in or leaving Mexico that I've experienced. And they're checking us out. And, and we pass the test. And for the life of me, I'm thinking that we have to get out of the car. They pat us down. They want us, you know, the whole thing. And I'm thinking, we got the wrong place. It says Bible house, but this is, I mean, it's just, we're just going to pick up Bibles. And so we get back in the car. We drive down the road. We park in a certain place. And when I get out of the car, it dawns on me, uh, it's a target. They don't want to be bombed by the Muslims. That's what's going on here. We walked in. We, we had to pay American prices for the Bibles. We got Lugandan Bibles, and we got English Bibles. English Standard Version is what we picked. It was the best thing going there that we could get. So we get those cases of Bibles. We put it back in the car, and, and we get back to the... Elizabeth's voice, uh, workrooms. When we got out of the car, now they knew we were going to get Bibles. When we got out of the car, they greet us and they dance and they're excited about us being there. And, but I, I really didn't have any clue what was about to take place. I was clueless to, to what we were bringing in. And my daughter was. And so we get in, we had no plan for the distribution. We were just going to sit in there and, and hand them out. I mean, what else do you do? You take the box apart. And each Bible was individually wrapped with a paper. And Amy's doing that, and I'm sitting there just watching all this. And she just looks at the person to her left, and she says, what language do you want? English or Lugandan? And I think she said, I want Lugandan. And so she takes that Bible, and she hands it to her. Well, when she handed that Bible to her, she took the Bible and she started kissing the Bible. She fell to her knees thanking us and thanking the Lord. And then she got up and she danced with the Bible, holding it up, praising God that she got a Bible. And we saw that and she looked at me. And of course, my daughter's got big alligator tears just running down her face. And I'm going, it, 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 it's a Bible. It's just a Bible. And I'm still using my frame of reference. I just go get one. I don't dance when I get the Bible. I didn't get, when they, when I paid for the Bible, I didn't stand there at the cash register and dance. I just got it and went on home with it. I've done it. How many times have you done that? Just gone and bought a Bible. No big deal. No one had to check me. And, and each lady, when we're going around the room, 
They took that Bible, and it was basically the same thing with their own personality wrapped up. It was a time of great emotion, great thanksgiving, and, and, and just celebrating that they get a Bible. And for many of them that I had no idea, it was their first Bible. 60-year-old lady says, my first Bible ever. And we're going around, we hand out all the Bibles, and it's a big celebration, and they're thanking us. And it, it took an hour. It was, it was almost way too much emotion for me in that room. I was spent. I was tired. I mean, I, I, I tried not to cry. I tried, you know, to fight all that. And I'm just going, just wasn't prepared for this kind of deal. And, and, the, and the driver was sitting right next to me, and they get them all out to all the ladies. I looked at Elvis, and I said, Elvis, you want a Bible? Oh, Pastor Lee, for me? I said, yeah, I'll give you a Bible, dude. What, what do you want? He said, Lugandan. He took the Bible, and he celebrated beyond even the ladies. And he said to me, he said, Pastor Lee, I've been wanting a Bible all my life. They can't get there, then they can't pay for it. What we paid for a Bible for, for most of those people is about a, what they make in a month. I mean, think about what you make in a month, and that's what the Bible's going to cost you. Would you, go buy, would you have a Bible in your home? It'd be pretty tough, wouldn't it? All right, kids, we're not going to eat this month because we're going to buy a Bible. See, we've never been dealt with that, have we? We've never been challenged with that. He sits there, and he gets out his pen, and he starts on the introductory page you know, the Bible was given to me by Emmy, E-M-Y, uh, uh, Brewer. I told him how to spell all that. And Pastor Lee Brewer, on this date, he made this real cool little thing on the front of his Bible. Now, my Bible don't even have my name in it. I mean, it's completely blank. Never even thought about writing my name in that Bible. If I lose it, I'll just go get another one. His wife came by a couple hours later. They lived just up the road, and she came by to see what all he was doing and stuff. And she's standing there, and I said, Elvis, would your wife like a Bible? And she was out in the street, and the little, little road, little alley, really what it is. And, and he asked her, and she said, oh, you will give me a Bible? I said, yep, right in here now, I'll give you a Bible. Hand her the Bible. She fell to her knees in the street thanking me and started crying that she got a Bible. Don't take your Bible for granted. How many Bibles you have in your house and you're not reading one of them? So let's look in the Bible. Are we living in the last days? A lot of questions about that today, isn't there? Are we living in the last days? Earthquakes, fires, hurricanes. Are we living in the, in the last days? Great strife in the world. Susan got home from Lebanon yesterday, her and Karen, and, and Amy's getting back right now, and uh, Susan just was talking up a storm until she hit the bed and she was gone. And uh, she said, Lee, the, the, the Muslim people are open to the gospel. The Muslim people that have been in Syria and have experienced the onslaught of ISIS are open to the gospel. Are we living in the last days? Matthew 24. 
Verse one, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. Now there's a reason for this. The temple was huge. By comparison with all the other houses that surround the temple, the temple stuck, it just stuck out. Matter of fact, when you crossed the Mount of Olives, it probably the very first time that you saw the temple, it took your breath away. Now, the very first time I saw our Capitol building in DC, I couldn't believe how big it was. Even though I've seen it on television, our Capitol building, if you haven't seen it, is enormous. It's gigantic. It's huge. It's big. It, it just takes up, it's just a big block that it surrounds and, and it's just, it's huge. You can see it. It's just visibility. Even if you're a long way down from the mall, you look over, that building is huge. The Texas uh, Capitol is a big building, but it's nothing like the one in D.C. Now, this temple was huge. It was, it was a sign of their strength. It was a symbol of their uh, pride. It was who they were. It's where they would go in and visit with God. It's where their sins would be atoned for. They would take it in the Holy of Holies. So this building meant everything. And it says here, they're talking about it. And I'm sure they're saying, it didn't say what the disciples are talking about, but I'm sure they're talking about how magnificent it is. There's a, a two-scale model in Jerusalem and those that have been there remember how big that temple was in the scale model, and you stand over it and look down at it. It's a big place, maybe as big as our, our building here on the ground, showing you at different walls and how it all looked back in the day of Jesus. I'm sure they were talking about, isn't the temple spectacular? Isn't the court of Gentiles, isn't that a magnificent thing? Isn't that a great architecture? Aren't we fortunate to have, we're so proud of our buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of one another. Now put yourself in Washington, D.C. You're standing with someone and that person says, you see that magnificent Capitol building? Yeah. There's going to come a day that it's going to be leveled. You'd say... No way. There's no way that's going to happen. And then when it did happen, you would go back to that fella and you would ask, what else do you know? Right? Well, in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the temple. Today, there's not a temple on the Holy Mount. It's not there. There is no place for the Jewish people to go and, and, and have Yom Kippur. There's no place for them to go and have their sins atoned for. Instead, there's a Dome of the Rock that is the third holiest place to the Muslims. And there is the, the mosque, the main mosque there in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, legally, a Jew can't even go on the Temple Mount. Not supposed to at all. It came true. What Jesus said came true. So when you're reading this scripture here, you've got to take a step back and look at it and go, Jesus really needs to be listened to. 
We need to pay attention to what Jesus has to say about future events, about life. And if what Jesus said is to be paid attention to, we for sure need to be reading the words of Jesus and paying extra close attention to be careful about the words of Jesus. We cannot take the words of Jesus lightly. And I think this scripture here says that. So later, now you can imagine the disciples talking about how beautiful the temple buildings are and how grand they are, how huge they are and everything. And they hear him say, it's going to be completely wiped out. And then later they sat on the Mount of Olives in verse three, his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world. Now, the disciples are asking Jesus a question that everyone is interested in. Everyone is interested in that. I I haven't met too many people that's not interested in that. I've met a whole lot of people that aren't interested in finding what Jesus had to say about it. They like Notre Dame. They believe that he predicted the falling of the two towers. They like other sayers. People like to go to a tarot card reader. But the place to go to to discover what life is going to be like before Jesus returns is the words of Jesus. So let's look at them. We all have a scripture in our hand. We can all get the scripture up there on the wall. Let's see what Jesus has to say about the end of time and the time before he comes. He says in verse four and five, many will be deceived. He says, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. So before Jesus returns, the end times, many, many people are going to be deceived. They're gonna be misled. They will deceive many. Now, think about all the deception going on in the world today. Islam deceives millions. Mormonism deceives millions. Do you understand that Mormons believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers fighting for the souls of this world? In Mormonism, at the early stages of life, they share Jesus Christ. They share what we understand. They have the New Testament, but they also are being deceived by Joseph Smith. Man, now, just read other literature beside Mormonism about what Joseph Smith believed in. He, the, 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 the rock glowed and the rock, the tablets were in the ground. Only he with the eyeglasses can read it. There's a great white people that are in North America, a great civilization, but there's been no archeological finds for them. Scientology is deceiving many. Jehovah Witness is deceiving many. Jehovah Witness believe in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was a God. They put the little 
were they in there? Jesus was one of many, not the only, not the supreme, not the one to be exalted. Now, I could go down the list, but you get where I'm going now. I don't think there's any question that today, many, 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 many people are being deceived. Even in the umbrella of Christianity, people are being deceived. We have famous preachers that don't teach the truth. You listen to them for a while and you're going, where is the sin that separates us from God? Where is the understanding of judgment? Where is this in the scripture? I mean, that idea that if you come to Christ, your whole world is going to be better and better and better and better is not taught in the scripture. It's not taught there. Matter of fact, I heard Billy Graham say the other day, coming to Christ does not mean that your life is going to be better completely. Matter of fact, Jesus never promises us unrestrained happiness. Many are being deceived. Many are being deceived. Now, the sad thing is you can all go to get a Bible today. And if you can't get a Bible today, I'll, I'll loan you the money for it. Or I'll get somebody that will. <laughs> And you can read it for yourself. You can't take it for granted. Many are going to be deceived. Number two, verse six says, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yet these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Wars and rumors of wars. Do you remember a time in your lifetime, regardless of your age today, that there was not some conflict happening in the world in your life? I, I don't think there's been a time. I mean, I grew up with the Vietnam War. Then we had all the, the problems in, in Africa. We've had the problems in Bosnia and that part of the world. We've had all the conflicts in Indonesia during my life. You know, you think about the places in the world that all the problems you had in South America with the drug trade and the wars that were fought there against the communists and all those places. I don't think there's ever been a time that there wasn't a war taking place in my lifetime, 57 years worth. And I think every one of us would say, absolutely. There's never been a time there wasn't a war or a rumor of war taking place. Nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So maybe you can check the box with that one, make your own decision. And then we walk down in verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, the latter part, there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. Well... There's been earthquakes. We've had lots of earthquakes. Around the Pacific Rim, we've had lots of earthquakes. The, the Japan, that island, was about destroyed just a few years ago. There was an earthquake just the last few days in Mexico. Earthquakes and famines. There's been places in this world, in our lifetime, even with all the stuff we have. Think about, we got John Deere tractors 
that can pull a plow or planter a disc that's what, 60, 70 foot wide? They, they push a button and it plows the field for them. We have better seeds than we've ever had before. If you drive through Iowa, the corn in Nebraska, in that part of the world, in the southern parts of Minnesota and Wisconsin, there's enough corn to feed the entire world. And yet in our world, we've had people starving to death. In our world today, there are people that choose not drinking water or drinking water that will kill them and they drink the water that will kill them. Today, with all that we have, with all the ability we have to dig water wells, there are people in our world still without clean, healthy drinking water, and, and we're okay with that. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, we ought to put every, we, there ought to be we ought to put, the Christian people ought to all band together and say, let's put every uh, resource we can together and be sure that there's no group of people anywhere without clean drinking water. We could do that. That could be done. We couldn't do it by ourselves, but we could be part of other people to get that done. Famine without food, without water. Starving. You've all seen the pictures of little children walking down a dirt road in some third world country with a bloated belly because they haven't had anything to eat and no good drinking water. Famine, earthquakes and, and, and famine in many parts of the world. Now verse eight says, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. So these things will happen, but it's not saying he's about to come because these things will increasingly multiply. Now, I've only had a couple experiences with childbirth. Now, for what I understand about childbirth, the pains start and they increase and they get worse as time goes on and they increase, the, the contractions increase, increase, the pain gets worse and then the baby comes to life right out in the world. Comes, is born, not come to life, he's been alive a long time. But it comes a lot, it's born, there you go. So Jesus said it's gonna start and it's gonna be there, but the sign is it's gonna multiply, 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 multiply. And you have to check the scientists to see that there is a multiplication happening with her, with earthquakes. All right, verse nine. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. There will be a great persecution that will take place. I've shared with you before that from year zero to year 1975, there were a lot of persecutions, but the number of persecutions for being a Christian has increased from 1975 to the year 2000. And from the year 2000 to the year 2025, it will even increase beyond that. And it is a crazy thought to understand that between the year 2000 and the year 2025, there will be more Christians killed because of their faith in Jesus than the 2,000 years previous. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? 
That's mind-blowing. We sure need to be preparing ourselves for persecution. I believe. I believe that we need to not expect a rapture and put all our eggs in the basket of a rapture so that we will escape persecution. And we need to put effort into preparing ourselves for persecution right here where we live. You think about that a little bit. Verse, in verse 10, listen to this verse. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Now, turn away from me, that gives us evidence that they're in the church, they're including the church, and, 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 the, and, the, and the application of that verse is really disputed out there in the world, what it means, but you know, many people say if they're in faith in Christ, they can't betray. Well, Jesus said, many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Now, think about the church-going family in the world today. We all know people that appear to be alive in Christ, and by all our points of view, we have to say they were, and then something happens, they betray, and they hate I've experienced it. You've experienced it. Happens all around us. I'm sure right here in our community, you see people all the time that they used to be seemingly alive in Christ and now they want nothing to do with Jesus. They have walked away from him. They have turned away from him and they have betrayed their family. And hate is even involved. And verse 11 says, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. There's going to be lots of false prophets before the Lord returns. There's going to be a lot of people standing up and say, I know the answers. I know the truth. And they do not exalt Jesus Christ. They push humanity. They push doing well. They push helping other people. They push lots of good causes. And you see many prophets that come in and they know as, as the guy that started Scientology says, the best way to make millions or even billions is start your own religion. We see that all around us. Many false prophets will take the stage. Verse 12 says, listen to this. Sin will be rampant everywhere. That means that sin will be out in the open. I think it's clear to say that if you think about what's happening in our society today compared to when you were a child, there is a growing of outwardly, unapologetically, with no remorse, sin in our world today. You know, I've heard it said time and time again that that. We had G movies, and now they don't hardly make a movie that can at least be PG because they, people won't go to it. And then they found that if they'll put a sex scene in a movie or a good killing or something like that, they can make it an R and they can make more money. 
I really believed that they, they could have helped Star Wars a lot the last couple times if they would have done something like that. They would have really blown the top off with those movies, but probably didn't have the fortitude to do that. Sin will be rampant, and the love of many will grow cold. Cold love, completely indifferent, uncaring, no compassion, no feeling for other people at all, just totally consumed with themselves. Is that happening in our world today? Is that how people are today? Think about the people you know. What are they living for? What are they counting on? I think that if you evaluated objectively the people that you know, I think that you will find that the majority of people that you know inside the body of Christ and outside even are living for themselves. When I was in Uganda, what the... David, who's working with him and so on and stuff, he said, Pastor Lee, let me ask you something. I hear in America that you have stores that are only for dogs and cats. <laughs> and I went, for the life of me, you're right, pet smart. I said, not just dogs and cats, but lizards and snakes and all kinds of animals in there and the food. He said, lots of dog food and cat food. I said, there's a huge store, and it's, it's row after row after row. I said, we've got dog food for baby dogs, middle dogs, teenage dogs, old dogs. He said, Pastor Lee, I understand that if you had 10 people in America, nine of them have TVs. And I thought, ooh. I think it's higher than nine out of 10. <laughs> I said, David, there are three TVs in my house. You can't watch all those TVs at one time. I know. But when I'm all by myself, I can shut those doors and I can watch my football games without people bothering me. So I have a TV for that. I got a TV for the bed. So when I get tired, I can go home and watch the end of the Oklahoma Ohio State game. I rooted for him for the first time. It won't happen again. <laughs> yeah. We're preoccupied with things. It says in verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's a statement, it's a promise to us. Do we live in an age of time where people are called on to endure to the end? We may struggle with this, but there are places in the world that people are called on to endure to the end. They're experiencing great persecution. Oh, the African story for you. We went to a church, the Gospel Light International Church because I heard the story about the pastor and the church was in the neighborhood that we were in. And he was a Muslim, he was converted to Christ. And after he was converted to Christ, he was on the street corner in the village there and they called his name, he turned around, some Muslim men threw acid on his face and absolutely eat up one side of his face. He lost eyesight in one of his eyes. 
And now he's a pastor there in, he's, he's called on, it humbles me to think about that, he's called on to endure to the end. There are people who are in that kind of situation. It's difficult to endure. It's difficult to believe that next day for the Lord. It's difficult to keep on pressing forward. But in our world today, in the body of Christ, there are many, many, many brothers and sisters that are enduring for Christ with overwhelming odds stacked against them. And then we see in verse 13... I'm sorry, in verse 14. A very interesting thing when you put these two things together, by the way. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it People have taken that apart and say, not only does it mean all nations, it really talking about all people groups will hear about it. And the end will come. My goodness, when you really take a look at what God's people are doing in this world, you can't help but think there is a real strong movement of people to take the gospel to the whole world. I have yet to be on a trip that I don't run into other believers in the airports doing exactly what we're doing. We were in China in it, waiting for our plane, and I saw walking down the walk the only white faces in the, in the building except for us. Got over there, and what are you guys doing here? We're from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. What are you doing here? We're teaching English in universities here. What are you really doing here? The guy looks around and says, we're all Christians. We're sharing the gospel. <laughs> Happens everywhere. That's God's people today. It's going on. Now, think about this. At the same time that there's a great movement to take the gospel to all the world, there's also a great falling away. Think about that. That's interesting, isn't it? So you have God's people assembled. You've got many falling away, disgruntled, broken people, people who are fed up with the, the, the mission of the church, are fed up with the church completely. Some say, I like Jesus, but not the church. You hear that all the time these days. We're going to start our own thing where we do what we want to do and we believe what we want to believe and we get to ask all the questions we want to ask. Even when there's an answer, we can walk by the answer and we can just celebrate the freedom within the group to ask all the questions. Just like John the Baptist, is he the one or we look for another? You already know there's no other, Jesus says. And so at the very same time that there's a great falling away, there's going to be a great effort to take the gospel to all the world. Jesus, these buildings are great. These are awesome buildings. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. 
Not one of these buildings will be left. They will all be knocked down. Jesus, when will that be? He says, I'll tell you what it's going to be like. I'll tell you what it's going to be like before I return. Now, the buildings are gone. He needs to be listened to today. He says to us that here are the things that are be going on in the world in an increasing manner. Many deceived, wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be lots of problems, earthquakes and famines. There's going to be lots of persecution in advancement. It's going to be multiplying. There's going to be more and more persecution that's going to take place. There's going to be a falling away of people. There are going to be people that used to go to church. It's going to be a large number of people that used to worship God, and they no longer worship God. There's going to be many, many will be led astray. There's going to be a time when sin is rampant and it's all out in the open and the love of many will grow cold. There's going to be a time when believers are called on to persevere to the end, to endure to the end. We may be a people that are called on to really buckle down and endure to the end. It is extremely important that you learn to pray now, you learn to read the Bible now, you learn to apply the Bible now. It's very important, regardless of the age of your life today. You may say, well, I'm towards the end, I can just coast through. No, don't take that chance. You don't wanna be someone when the great persecution wave floods us and we're not prepared. And so we are responsible to really dig deep and to grow spiritually and prepare ourselves for a great wave of persecution, a great wave of tribulation. That's the words of Jesus. Every age, every generation, every group, regardless of time, should be paying attention closely to the words of Jesus because it may happen in our lifetime and we don't want to be caught unprepared. And the church will have its largest effort to take the gospel to all the world. The largest sending country of missionaries today is China. Go home and Google the road to Jerusalem and read what God's doing through the, for, for the underground church in China. They are sending out Thousands of missionaries with a 10 principle leaving China and going to the hardest to reach countries. Just look on the map between China and Jerusalem. And they believe, they believe that the Holy Spirit came to them and said, take the gospel from where you are to Jerusalem and share the good news of Jesus with all the people in between. Look at the countries, Afghanistan, Iran. Iraq, Lebanon, Syria, they're there. Many are being killed. Many are being arrested. They're there. Not a big promotion about it. You're not hearing about it. It's just, they're just going about their business, following the Luke 10 guidelines of go into the world unfettered. There's a guy in Africa, in the Congo, his name is Justin Wren. I encourage you to go listen to his story. I put it on my Facebook today so you'd have some look about his testimony. He was an MMA fighter, got a big beard, big, brutally guy. 
I don't know much about MAA, but he said he, they said he was pretty good. And the Lord got a hold of him. He was addicted to some things, and he, was, he had a lot of problems. He struggled with depression. And he said the Lord got a hold of him, and the message was quit fighting people and fight for people. And he's in the Congo now working with a tribe of pygmies that were enslaved to another tribe. And it's amazing what the Lord has done through this fighter. When I look at the scripture, I personally believe that the answer to that question is, yes, we definitely most likely are in those last days. So prepare now. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us not to be deceived. Help us to grow stronger. Help us to grow in preparedness. Help us, Lord, to hold tightly to you. Help us not to be one of the many who betray and fall away. Prepare us in truth to guard against false prophets. Prepare us. Help us, Lord, to, to continue to confess sin, to repent of sin, to live a repented life. Help us, Lord, to come to grips with our own sin and lay before you and confess and receive the gift of forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to develop a great hatred for our sin and to do all we can, Lord, to follow your guidance, to live a life, Lord, that is pleasing to you. Lord, we pray for all the believers being persecuted today. Lord, we pray that you prepare us for a day of persecution. Help us, Lord, not to run away from persecution if that means disobedience to you. And Lord, may we press on to take the gospel to the whole world, to our community, to our county, to our nation, and to the world, Lord. May we be open to what your spirit is leading us to do and help us to be faithful. Thank you, Lord, for the movement in our body to take the gospel to as many places as we can. May it continue for your glory. In Jesus' name, ushers come forward.